We have been spending the final weeks of summer in the Psalms. I've said jokingly, but half true, maybe more than half true, uh, that my hope has been, as we've looked at different Psalms, we've been in Psalm 1, Psalm 8, we've been in Psalm 25, 77, 122, I believe it was, uh, all over the place. And we, we have a few more. I know most of our kids are back in school. Some are returning soon. But in these final weeks of summer, we, we are in this, this book, 150 chapters. And, and my, my line has been, I hope these Psalms might be some of your new best friends. Um, God has given us this amazing book, his self-revelation. And it's a book filled with history and apocalyptic, apocalyptic future visions and um, accounts of the Lord Jesus, of course, letters from the Apostle Paul to people in churches and poetry, including the Psalms. And what we have here um, is just a, a, a joy, a wealth of poems and prayers that God's people have for years gone to. To, to speak to them and, and to learn how to pray and how to worship. And so uh, that, that has been the big picture hope. And today we come to Psalm 90. If you have a Bible, I would ask you to turn there. I want to read it from verse 1 through the end at verse 17. Psalm chapter 90. This psalm, a couple things to note, it begins the fourth book. So there's the Psalms are broken into uh, five books, and uh, this is the start of book four. And there's some ordering that's going on with, with how the, the editors, if you will, who put the Psalms in this order did that. There's some reasons. It's not chronological. In fact, uh, someone who's got their Bible open, who does it say this Psalm, this prayer is attributed to? Moses. So we typically think of the Psalms as David, and many of them are of David, this goes backwards a bit. And so this is a song. Uh, we have other songs of Moses recorded for us in uh, the first five books. And, and we have this one as well. And again, at some point before the time of Jesus, uh, in those couple hundred years before he was born, God's people collected and, and put these in an order. And, and this uh, book four begins with this prayer of Moses. If you follow along now as I read Psalm chapter 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. 
the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. So the Psalms are filled with several types of Psalms. They're not all simply songs of praise, although there are many of those, number three on the screen, uh, Thanksgiving Psalms, history, salvation Psalms, Psalms of uh, celebration and affirmation. We were in Psalm 122, uh, the song of Zion it is. There's wisdom Psalms that sound somewhat like the Proverbs. There's Psalms or songs of trust, all of those things. Um, in fact, that the word psalm, that, that title, uh, it simply means praise. This is the book of praises, and there are many kinds of praises. And what we've seen in this series this summer are several what are called laments. Laments are um, cries. They, they are often complaints, but they're, they're not just grumbling to, you know, the person next to you. They're, they're complaints directed toward God, cries directed to him. And this one, I don't know if you caught it as I read, it's a communal lament. So Moses, Moses, the man of God, has something to sing about, something to write about. And it's, it's got some gems in it. This, this Psalm 90 has some nuggets. Maybe you've memorized or heard some of those verses before. But in the context, it is a community cry, a community lament. And we can, we can put the context uh, together Briefly, again, it has to do with the desert. One commentator, uh, William Edgar, he points out these things. This is so good to, to hear. Though gloriously delivered from the bondage of Egypt, God's people had turned their hearts against God. Sorry, just closed my notes. Though gloriously delivered from bondage in Egypt, God's people had turned their hearts against God. They turned to idols. They complained about hardships, about food, and about Moses' qualifications. The sad result, as we know, was God's condemning of them to wander for an entire generation in the desert. Yes, the desert. Let me pause this quote for a minute. Uh, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of uh, the desert, for me, it's Las Vegas. Um, I remember the very first time going to Las Vegas over 25 years ago. I was a youth leader in Southern California, and this is typical Orange County sounding story. Every time I think of it, I kind of chuckle. Um, we were taking Orange County high school students to 
a resort in southern Utah to ski and snowboard, because that's what Orange County high school students need to do uh, in their winter break. Um, it, was, it was worth it, but anyway, that's where we were headed. And in order to get to southern Utah and these resorts, you had to go on Highway Interstate 15 through Las Vegas. And I'd never been there, and I still remember coming down this hill, and it's just sand for miles. And then slowly, it's evening now, because we left after school got out in the distance, there's this light. And as you get closer, the light gets bigger, and you realize that's the Las Vegas Strip, and, uh, and there you are and the buildings, and the grandeur, and all of those things. So that's my view when I think of the desert. I don't know what your view is. Uh, That wasn't Moses' view, that's for sure. Uh, Let me get back to the context. They had been rescued. God miraculously delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. The parting of this Red Sea, and then then God wiping out the Egyptians, and, and they were free, and they were they were headed to the promised land, but they disobeyed and, and, and they were condemned to wander an entire generation, 40 years in the desert. Numbers chapters 13 through 17. The desert in the Bible is both a reality and a symbol. Hear that. It's a reality and symbol of judgment. Over and over, God's rebellious people are sent into the desert to wander. Indeed, often when the Bible speaks of judgment, it describes the reversal of the days of creation back to disorder, back to the desert. Consider the prophecy of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 23 to 26. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert before the Lord, before his fierce anger. The desert is thus not a natural place. For some of us, there's an exotic beauty in the desert. For some of us, our bones feel better in the dry desert. But biblically, this is a place of banishment. No, God who made the lush beauty of the earth now turns rivers into desert. Springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Psalm 107, verses 33 to 34. So in a way, the human condition can be compared to living in the wilderness. Every one of us knows and has known desert-like troubles. Every one of us has known desert-like troubles. What kind of deserts have you experienced? Don't, Don't answer, but just think about that question. What kinds of deserts have you experienced? Or maybe right now, what kind of deserts are you experiencing? If this author is telling the truth, that every one of us has known desert like times of trouble, maybe you've known one, maybe you know one. Maybe you have a friend or a relative who is turned on you. Maybe it's your finances or the lack of your finances. Maybe it's your career and, and path. Maybe it's health or disease or a sickness. Maybe it's aging. I had a birthday a few days ago. 
And I was struggling a bit with turning 50. I don't know why the number so, was so strugglesome. My brother kept reminding me, it's just a number, it's just a number. But I don't know, and I, I think I know a little bit, and we'll get there in our psalm today, but, but man, I did not like the idea of 50. Although it's remarkable, on Tuesday, the next day, I felt the same <laughs> as I did the day before my birthday, so, you know, that's what I mean. I, anyway, maybe a desert for you is angst and anxiety over politics and the world and things domestic, things international. There's a lot of desert-like things to get caught up in, definitely. Maybe for those of us that are parents, it's kids or grandkids and, and, and just things related to the most precious ones in our life. Maybe it's the awareness of your indwelling sin, Right? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Our sins have been dealt with on the cross. But last time I checked, we still sin. I do. I say things I don't want to say. I think things that I don't want to think. I hurt people's feelings. I, I, I sin. And, and there's areas where I think, Jesus, please sanctify me in this area sooner than later. But maybe that's causing a sense of the desert. Whatever your desert is, or whatever your desert was, or whatever your desert might be this afternoon, next week, later this year, Psalm 90 is a good friend. Psalm 90 is a good friend. Psalm 90 is going to be your friend by reminding you again and again and again that God is with us in the desert. God is with us in the desert. That was what Moses wanted to sing about and to pray about as this song was composed. And as we consider Psalm 90 for a few minutes and God being with us in the desert, we're going to see three things. Number one, the reality of God in the desert. Number two, the need to admit and confess our sin in the desert. And third, prayers, the prayers we need to pray in the desert. So let's take a look at these three things in Psalm 90. So first, we have the reality of God in the desert. The reality of God in the desert. Psalm 90 begins with an amazing note of praise to God. And it's this truth, the reality, reality of God in the desert. Verses 1 and 2, hear these words. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What an astounding truth of the reality of God in the desert. God is our dwelling place. Some translations put in their refuge. And the word refuge comes up quite a bit in the Psalms to to speak of God. And it can be translated that way. Some uh, Hebrew manuscripts have the word for refuge, including the, the Septuagint uses the word for refuge. Either is true, but I think dwelling place is a little better in this context. Uh, A dwelling place is where one lives in good times and bad. A refuge is where you go, maybe temporarily, but a dwelling place, that's where you live in good times and bad times. Or as 
Uh, Alex Moyer, the commentator, says it's a fixed address. Imagine Moses after 40 years (laughs) and he says, God, you are our fixed address. You are our dwelling place. He's not distant. He's not impersonal. He's present. That's reality. The reality of God in the desert. Even in Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, just before his death to the people of Israel, Moses said, the eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, well, and he goes on to say a few other things, but the eternal God is our dwelling place. And then verse two, this is taking us back to Genesis verse one, Psalm 90 verse two, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth, in the beginning was God. And here the way Moses puts it is, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Whatever desert you're facing, friends, whatever desert you've been in, whatever desert you might be in, or if you're in one right now, God is present. God is present. It may seem like he's distant, and and that's a whole other sermon. Why does God seem to and sometimes, in fact, hide? Ultimately, it's that we would seek him, but but he's not saying, I'm, I'm too bothered by, you know, Russia and Ukraine, so leave me be, or, or, you know, I got other things going on. No, no, no. Whatever your desert is, it's not too small. The reality of God in the desert, he's, he's with you. And that's the first thing we learn in Psalm 90 that Moses praises God for in this communal lament. Lord, you have been our fixed address, our dwelling place. From everlasting to everlasting, you our God. But there's some things to do in the desert and the, the psalm moves to um, this need to admit and confess, to admit and confess sin in the desert. Not necessarily that we're in the desert because of our sin, although we've talked about that. Sometimes the Bible's clear. Sometimes we are in hard places because of sin. Not always, not always, sometimes, and there's a place to explore that. So whether it's the result of sin of ours in general or just the reality of a broken world, we have sin that needs to be confessed and admitted to in our deserts. Verses three and four. You, God, return man to dust. This is pointing to Genesis three nineteen the judgment on Adam and Eve and on humanity for sin would be a return to dust. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. God may be from everlasting to everlasting, verse two, but we are the opposite. We are fragile and temporary Again, Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
the point again is that our life is like a mist, a vapor. That's how James chapter 4, verse 14 puts it. I was cleaning a couple of mirrors in our home yesterday, and I shake that can, and and this beautiful spray mist goes, and then it's, it's gone. It doesn't, it doesn't last. Or think of an air freshening bottle. It's a mist, a vapor. That's what James says about our life. And that's the point here. Our life is, is like that. Verse 4, it's a verse quoted by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.8. Dr. W. Robert Godfrey writes this. For us, a thousand years is a time so long we cannot really imagine experiencing it. But for God, it's no different from a very short period of time. He is eternal above the time that he created. God sees the whole thing. A thousand years are, are to God like, like just a moment is to us, and, and that's this comparison. We, we can't imagine a thousand years Isaiah 40 would have similar ideas. There, a comparison is made to the nations who are like a drop from a bucket and as dust on the scales. Dust on a scale. Like, that's nothing, right? But that's, that's life. It, it's just, it's a vapor, it's a mist. To us, it seems forever, and our deserts seem like they will never come to an end. God, God is above it and outside of it, but present in it and and, and we have to note that. Tim Keller and his wife Kathy wrote a devotional called The Songs of Jesus, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Psalms. Uh, I would recommend it. It's a wonderful devotional. And they write this about verse 4. Verse 4 is one of the most widely quoted verses in the Psalms because it comforts us when we are frustrated with God's timing. Time moves slowly for us as we crawl from moment to moment. But God, who inhabits eternity, sees all of history in a single moment, so his timetable is unlikely to match our own. And all of that then leads to verses five and six. God, you sweep them, that is us, away, as with a flood. They're like a dream, like like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes, And is renewed, and then in the evening it fades and withers. We can all relate to withering grass around these parts. Maybe not quite a green morning and then an evening fade, but in the hot sun uh, in Israel or Palestine and in that region, grass could do that. New growth would be there in the morning, and then by the end of the day, it would have withered. And again, we're reminded of the eternality of God. Listen to some similar sounding words. Psalm 102, verse 11. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Psalm 103, verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Or again, Isaiah, chapter 51, verse 12. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, the the son of man who is made like grass? So they are not speaking of son of man as in the title of Jesus, but but of humanity. God's eternality, our days as being just like a mist, vapor, grass that sprouts and, and then withers. And that leads to stanza three now, verses seven through 11. And they're bleak on their own. 
But let's remember where we are. God is present in the desert, and we must admit and confess our sin in the desert because, verses 7 through 11 now, we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquity before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Did you, did you hear the word wrath? is used three times in the English word wrath. Anger is used twice. There's the word iniquity, sin. Moses here is is pointing out the reality that every one of us knows. The shortness and weakness of human life are the fruit of sin and judgment in the world. We, We were made to live a lot longer. But sin entered the world. And we will be studying the book of Romans this fall. And at some point, we will get into a part of Romans that speaks of what happened to all of us because of Adam and Eve. Oh, Adam and Eve. My kids always would get angry. If Adam and Eve hadn't messed up, it's true. We would have had it been us. But So there's sin that has to be confessed and admitted to. And, and Moses, Moses, so keep the timeline in mind here. He, he doesn't know the full extent of how God is going to save and redeem and forgive. But he knows God is good. He knows God is faithful. But, but he's admitting what he knows to be true. Let's think about it from our vantage point on this side of history, on this side looking back at the cross. If you have confessed and admitted your sin to God and asked to be saved by the work of the Lord Jesus. What a glorious thing. You're, you're secure in him. You're saved. You're a Christian. But we still sin and we still mess up. And there's a place to say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for that sin, for the way I hurt this person. And if you're here today and you haven't yet come to the place of saying, God, I, I don't live up to my own standards, let alone yours, I need to be forgiven. If your word is true and, and one day I'm going to stand in judgment, either, either you're going to judge me because of my sin or my sin will be put onto the Lord Jesus in my place. And, and if you've not yet chosen that, which is again, back to our catechism, a gift of faith, maybe today's the day to admit that you're a sinner but in the next breath to admit that our God is an even greater Savior. Verse 10, he he says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. It's an ordinary lifespan, obviously, and, and many people live longer. Some people live fewer. Again, Tim and Kathy Keller, they they write this in their devotional. Verses 7 to 11 remind us that death is not the natural order of things, but the effect of our turning from God and the curse on all creation. Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 19. 
without this robust doctrine of sin, we will not be wise, verse 12, which we'll get to in a moment. We will be constantly shocked by what people and we are capable of and how life swiftly takes away everything we love. We will trust in our own abilities too much and seek satisfaction in things that we will be that we'll inevitably, we will inevitably lose, face sin and death, or be out of touch with reality. That's Moses' point. And so again, we, we have to face the reality of our sin in the desert and confess and admit and keep that relationship clean, if you will, straight, clear, no, no obstructions between our relationship. That's what confession does for the Christian. Sin it's like it puts a wall up. It doesn't change the relationship. You, you don't sin as a Christian and lose being a son or daughter, but, but there's some fellowship that is disrupted. Just like if I say something rude to my wife, I, I don't stop being her husband of 30 years. She doesn't stop being my wife. Our relationship is there, but, but there's some disfellowship until I go and confess. So Christian, confess and admit your sin daily, hourly if need be. And one more time, if you have yet to do that, I invite you today might be the day to admit to God that you're a sinner and you need him as your savior. In the desert, we have the reality of God's presence. And in the desert, we have to admit and confess our sin. Maybe it's our sin. Maybe it's the sin of someone else. We have to acknowledge it. And maybe it's just admitting the result of sin in general. But we must again and again admit and confess, God, I'm sorry. Friend, relative, brother, I'm sister, I'm sorry. Let's be those people. The third thing we see and learn in this Psalm 90, Psalm of Moses, are the prayers of the desert. And so verses 12 through 17, these, these final six verses are, are six prayers. And in a moment, I'm gonna put each one of them on the screen. And I would just invite you as we move through them, to, to be prayerfully saying, Holy Spirit, which of these prayers do I need to cling to in this desert I'm in? If you're in one. Which of these six especially? Maybe it's all of them, but, but for your desert, if you're in one right now, which of these six amazing prayers does the Spirit want you to pray again and again? So let's, let's work our way through them. Verse 12, prayer number one. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I think for me, this this was part of what was going on in my soul leading up to turning 50 a few days ago. Just the reality that I'm supposed to number my days. And this, this doesn't mean, by the way, that I get to pick a number. Like, I want to make it to 94, God. You know, like, that's my number. <laughs> I think the, the point is, God, you know, only you know how many days I'm going to get. And so to pray, God, teach me to number my days means I don't know. I'm not guaranteed today. Teach me to realize only you have control of my days and so help me have a heart of wisdom. Whether they're 50 and, and we look back and think, have, I, have we done the things we should have done, want to have done? 
what are the regrets, what are the disappointments, and deal with that, and then look in this direction, you know, teach us to number our days. One, one commentator summarizes so well. Interestingly, the Psalms, the first prayer in the desert is not a, to, to forestall death or to remove misery, but rather to become self-aware. He does not want to live as though he is going to live forever, but rather in the knowledge of his mortality. Why? To have a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to live life in an authentic way. A wise person knows how to make the right choices at the right time. Is this your prayer for the desert? God, teach me to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom. Verse 13 is the second prayer. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants? If you look back at verse 3, there Moses wrote, God, you return man to dust, and you say, return, O children of man. Well, notice here now, Moses in verse 13 turns that back toward God. God had rebuked man in verse 3, and now Moses is returning this cry, God, return, O Lord, relent, some translations put it, for mercy. God, I need mercy in the desert. That's what this is prayer saying, return, relent, God, how long? How long will I be in this desert? Maybe, maybe this is the one for some of you. You need the freedom of this psalm to, to know you can be honest to God and just say, God, how long? Have pity on your servant. That's, it's a cry of, for compassion from a God who's present and who, has, who is a reconciling God and it's an okay, honest prayer. Maybe it's the next prayer, number three, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Satisfy. Satisfy me, God, in the morning with your covenant love, your steadfast love, your faithful love. You're never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love because of Jesus. God doesn't love us because we're lovely, sorry. God doesn't love us because we're lovely, but we are lovely because he loves us. Maybe this is the prayer. Satisfy me. God, satisfy me this morning. So many other things are are not secure in my life, but your covenant faithful love is. So satisfy me today. I love how the NIV and the Christian Standard Bible put it. Here in the ESV, it's that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The NIV puts it that we may sing for joy and be glad, or the CSB says that we may shout with joy and be glad. Prayer 4, verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Again, an honest admission of God's sovereignty and control over life. And Moses being honest here. And God, 
make us glad for as many days as the number of days you've had a seen affliction and even affliction that you've brought on us. And he knows it's because of sin and judgment, but God, you know, it's been a long desert, so would you give me at least glad days in that direction now? It's been years of desert and evil that we've seen. So God, can you give me that many in the other direction? Again, an honest cry, a lament prayer, looking to God to make life full. The fifth prayer, verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. So this is a prayer saying, God, I, I want to experience, to be shown your work. I, I, I see your work in creation, and I know the stories of what you've done, but, but God, I need to know by experience your work. Show me your work. And then may, may that work, that, that glorious power be shown to my children, their children, your servants' children. Again, maybe this is your honest prayer in your desert. You need, you need to see it, and it's okay to pray it. Or the sixth prayer, verse 17. This is where Moses ends his song, his, his cry. Let the favor, that word can also be translated beauty. And I'm going to read it that way. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Your people, your church. Let, let the beauty of the Lord be upon my family. Let, let the beauty of the Lord be upon those that I care about. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Notice how this verse ends. Notice three times we have the word our. And then if you look back at verse one, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. That's why it's a communal cry. The recognition that God, you are present in the desert for my community. And now God, in the final prayer, you, you are our God and may your beauty be established upon us, our God, upon our hands the work of our hands. I read a very sad story of an 89-year-old English politician named Sir Leonard Wolfe. I'm not sure how far back he was. But this is what he wrote at 89. I will not try to read it in an English accent, but imagine I'm Sean Connery for a moment. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the last 57 years would be exactly the same if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make this ignominious confession to myself and anyone who reads these words that I have in this long life ground through 150,000 to 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. Our work can feel useless at times. Whether it's the work we do to bring home a check to pay the bills and do life, whether it's the work we do with people, if it's you know parenting or grandparenting, or but oh, may we not become like Sir Leonard Wolf. 
and think that history would be the same if we had just played ping pong for 57 years as, or as opposed to doing work. What a sad place. And this prayer is the opposite of that. This is a prayer saying, God, may your beauty, your favor, may it be on us, on me. And God, would you establish my work? Yes, establish my work. This is a great benediction, by the way, and I have used it on us, for us at times, and it's a great one to pray. I try to pray this, in fact, for my kids often as they start their day of school. God, establish the work of their hands and their minds today. May your favor be on them. Maybe this is your prayer in the wilderness. Psalm 90, friends, can be a good friend in your desert We have the reality of God with us in the desert. We have the need to admit and confess our sin in the desert. And we have prayers, six wonderful prayers in the desert. Again, what desert are you in? What desert are you about to be in? Our hope, the hope that Moses just, you know, knew very little of at his point in history, our hope in the desert ultimately comes because of Jesus. Christ went through the desert, literally, when being tempted of the devil, but also figuratively while enduring so much suffering. And because of this, Jesus can lead us out of our deserts, whatever they might be, into God's favor. Because the power of God's anger was turned away from us and poured out on his son, Jesus, on the cross, we may be free from guilt, and our prayer for God's favor will be answered. That's also William Edgar. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus in our deserts. The desert is not our dwelling place. It's not our fixed address. God is. God is. Would you stand with me and let's sing a confession of our need for him today. Thank you, Father, for Psalm 90. Thank you for the song of Moses, this honest communal community lament. May it be a friend to us in a desert time. Because we admit we, we need you. We try to live like we don't sometimes. We try to pull ourselves up by bootstraps and muscle through, but the reality is we need you because we have deserts and you're with us in them. And, and it's Jesus, ultimately you, our hope because of that desert you faced for us. And so this song, this cry we know is true. We need you And you are our one defense. You are our righteousness. Oh, God, how we need you.